Well, good morning, everyone. We do appreciate our choir being back and just the um, wonderful worship time. I want to thank them. And I also want to extend special greetings to all of those of you who are up in uh, the chapel and different venues here in uh, this particular campus. Those of you meeting in our home churches and also those people who are meeting at our Northwest Regional. Uh, it's meeting out at the Crowfoot Center. Uh, those meeting down at our church in Bridgeland. And uh, also those of you who are meeting uh, now for the second time in our new regional in Airdrie. God bless you all. And can we just let them know that we're here supporting them? Right on. We're beginning a new series today entitled God Is, which is all about knowing the character and the nature of God. And the purpose of this series is uh, to introduce us not to the God that we might prefer, but to the God who is, the God of the Bible, and the implications those particular truths have on our lives. In this message, I want to talk to you about our all-powerful God. But before we get into it, I'm going to ask that you would stand and let's dedicate this time in God's Word to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the assurance that we serve a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. And we also serve a personal God that you did not just create us and then leave, but you have been pursuing us. You have been reaching out to us. And I ask, Lord, as we seek to understand you more fully, that, Lord, you would soften our hearts, you would help us to focus our thoughts, and then, Lord, you would give us the courage to respond in whatever way you would have us to. For I pray it, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In Psalm chapter 6, we find the psalmist discouraged and at a very low point in his life. And this is what he writes I am worn out, O Lord. Give me strength. I am completely exhausted, and my whole being is deeply troubled. Now, don't put up your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you uh, can identify, at least in some way, with the feelings that the psalmist expresses here. Some of you are physically and emotionally exhausted. Others feel like you're a prisoner to your character flaws, your bad habits, or your addictions. Still others of you can barely tolerate the situation that you find yourself in at work or at school, and there just seems to be no way out. For some, your marriage, your family is unraveling, and you feel totally powerless to do anything about it. If I'm describing your situation at all, then you know how feelings of hopelessness and powerlessness can suck the joy and the energy right out of your life. Instead of getting up with a smile and saying, Good morning, Lord, 
Too often we wake up and say, oh, Lord, it's morning. (laughs) Well, it doesn't need to be this way. As we're going to see from our study today, God's power is limitless, and he wants us to trust him and allow him to do in us and through us what we could never pull off in our own strength. The Bible clearly teaches that our God has the ability and the power to do anything. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. His power knows no parameters. Now skeptics immediately ask questions like, Okay, if God has the power to do anything, then can he build a rock so big that he can't lift it? Well, the answer is no. And you say, hold it, Pastor, not so fast. I mean, are you telling me, Pastor, there's something that God cannot do? No. God can do anything, but he will not do everything. Dr. R.C. Spruill says, God will only do what is consistent with his nature, his character, and his purposes. I mean, think about the implications of a God who does everything conceivable. God could die. God could lie. God could be irrational. He could be unfaithful. God could create a square circle. These are things that God could do but will not do because they are not only absurd but totally inconsistent with his nature and character. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 tells us that God will not lie. James 1.13 says God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else to do evil. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says God will not be unfaithful or break his promise. God's consistent. Not only that, but God never gets tired. His power and his strength is unending. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, it says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. When God exercises his power, he does so effortlessly. It is no more difficult for him to create a universe than it is for him to create a sparrow. He has unlimited power. Now some people wonder if God's all-powerful, then then why doesn't he always answer our prayers? Because God is not a genie or a Santa Claus who gives us everything that we ask and exactly when we want it. You see, he uses his power to fulfill his purposes, his perfect plans, and not ours necessarily. However, he does have our best interests at heart in all things. He knows what's best for us, even though sometimes his ways don't seem to line up with our ways. But I mean, look at it this way. Can you think of at least one prayer request that you had years ago perhaps, for which you are now thankful that God did not answer the way that you wanted? I mean, some of you are thinking of that person that you 
almost married. That person that you couldn't live without, that you begged God for, and now you break out in a cold sweat just thinking about what life would be like had God, in fact, said yes to your request. Others of you are thinking of a job that you almost took or a business partner that you almost teamed up with or an employee that you almost hired. Aren't you glad that God doesn't always give you what you ask for? Friends, God knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. His way is perfect. He can be trusted. He is all-powerful. The Hebrew word is El Shaddai, which means our God is almighty. Now, God's power is expressed in numerous ways. Too many to mention in a sermon, but I'm going to mention just a few. One way God displays his power is through miracles, including the miracles that we read about in the Old Testament, the miracles that Jesus performed, the miracles that took place and happened down through church history, and the miracles many of us have witnessed in our day, even right here in our church fellowship, including radically changed lives and healed bodies and many restored marriages and relationships. Another way that God displays his power is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes this. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is not only available to us today to live in victory despite our circumstances, but it is also the power that will raise us from the grave and usher us into the presence of Jesus in glory. A further way that God displays his power is through his creation. In Psalm 8, David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Louis Giglio and Jay Kessler describe the awesome universe that King David uh, speaks about here. For example, our sun is a good-sized star with a diameter of approximately 860,000 miles. Our sun could hold one million planets the size of our Earth. That's not shabby. Good size. And yet, compared to many other stars in our universe, our sun's a relatively minor star. For example, the pistol star gives off 10 million times the power generated by our sun and one million stars the size of our sun could fit within its sphere. Now, the Milky Way galaxy, which our solar system is a part of, has over 100 billion stars. And so if you were to count the stars just in our galaxy at the speed of one star per second, it would take you 2,500 years to do so. Now, our galaxy is kind of oblong, sort of like an egg. 
And so if you want to go across it the long way, and you move at the speed of light, which I recommend, <laughs> the speed of light is about 186,000 miles per second, it would take you a mere 100,000 light years to do so. Considering you travel approximately 5.88 trillion miles in one light year, at 100,000 light years, our galaxy is a fairly expansive place. But you see, here's the really mind-boggling part. Scientists estimate that there are billions of galaxies like ours in the universe, many of them much larger than our own. Isaiah writes, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? Scientists estimate that there are 10 billion trillion. Can't wait for our debt to get to that size. But they estimate that there are 10 billion trillion stars in the universe. If all the stars were divided equally among the people of the world, each of us would receive approximately 2 trillion stars. We're rich. Talk about a lot of real estate. And yet God spoke it all into being. Is it any wonder that King David cried out, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, when I contemplate these facts about the vastness of our universe, my immediate reaction is just how insignificant our planet is and even how insignificant we are. I mean, I feel like a speck of dust in this vast universe. And yet, while I'm awestruck by the sheer magnitude of the creative power of God, I am equally overwhelmed by the truth of the Bible that tells me that this all-powerful God knows me, that this all-powerful God loves me and wants to be in relationship with me and wants to live his life of love and joy and peace and unlimited power through me and you. That is even more mind-boggling to me. So given that God's unlimited power is available to us. Why are so many people living fearful, beaten down, joyless, powerless lives? Well, there's a number of reasons one could give, but the Bible indicates that the greatest reason is that too often we don't invite God to be involved in our lives. Quite apart from what we might say, we tend to keep God at a safe, comfortable distance. And that grieves our Lord because he longs for us to trust him in all things and to be our closest friend. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth for people whose hearts 
are totally his. Now, if you think about it, you don't trust people you don't know, at least not very much. And so if we're going to trust God, we have to get to know him, which is something that you can't do overnight. Faith is like a muscle. It grows stronger as you exercise it. And so, because God loves us and wants to know us so much, he loves to exercise our faith muscle by moving us out of our comfort zone, taking us into the gym, as it were. And he does that by giving us assignments or challenges or by allowing hardships to come our way, all with the intent of helping our faith in him to grow. These challenges require us to trust him. And when we do, we begin to learn through our experience that he is trustworthy, that his promises are true, and all of that experience begins to cause us to grow in our knowledge and our trust of him. Now, we see examples of this all the way through Scripture. But I'd like you to turn your Bibles, uh, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3, where we see this being played out in the life of Moses. The children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. And God calls Moses to go and to free his people from bondage. And one of the very first things Moses says back to God is, Who am I? In other words, Moses saying, I'm not qualified to do this, Lord. You know, I mean, I may have a beard and have a slight resemblance to Charlton Heston, but I'm just an ordinary schmo, okay? I've got nothing to offer. And God says, Moses, I'm not looking for extraordinary people who think they're really gifted and have it all together. No, I'm looking for ordinary people who will trust in an extraordinary, all-powerful God. So get up and get moving because I'll go with you. And I'll provide whatever you need along the way as long as you stay close to me. And after giving a list of excuses, after arguing with God for a time, Moses finally gets over himself, gets focused on God, gets up, steps out, and trusts God to give him what he needs along the way. And through all the challenges that he faces, he discovers firsthand that God is faithful. And in time, Moses becomes a great leader. In time, Moses becomes a man of great faith. And most importantly, he becomes a great friend of God's. Think about where he started. God, I'm just a schmo. I've got nothing to offer. Think about where he ended up. In fact, if you turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verse 10, this is what it says. After Moses died, the scriptures tell us, 
Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. You see, God exercised Moses' faith muscle, and in the end, Moses knew God intimately, and friends, there is nothing that pleases God more. Which leads me to ask, how can we have God's power working in and through us the way that it worked in and through the life of Moses? Well, to begin with, we need to put our faith in God. I mean, it took a while before Moses eventually came to the place where he had complete trust in God. And so must we. Hebrews 11.6 says it very matter-of-factly. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, who earnestly seek after him. This verse says that if you come to him just for what you hope he can do for you or what you hope he will give you, but you don't believe that he exists and earnestly seek after him, you are on your own. And you will receive from him precisely nothing. See, folks, it all has to start by acknowledging that he is the Lord God and putting our faith in him. Furthermore, if we want God's power at work in our lives, we need to humble ourselves and admit our weakness. Now, don't misunderstand. God doesn't want us to get fixated on our weakness. No, he wants us to acknowledge our weakness so we'll see our need for God's strength and power in our lives. And we will lean on him rather than our own strength. You see, too often we look at our weakness and we lose hope because we think we're incapable of being used by God. We say to ourselves, you know, well, if I was more intelligent or if I was more gifted or if I had a more appealing personality or if I could just speak better or if my circumstances were different, then God could really use me to make a difference in the world or in resolving the negative circumstances I find myself in. That's the attitude that Moses had at first. He got all fixated on what he lacked as a person and as a leader. And God got upset with him over his fixation. And God says, Moses, stop focusing on your weaknesses. I don't need you to be more competent in your own abilities. No, I need you to have more faith in my abilities. And what I can do through you, despite your weaknesses, despite your circumstances. And it is so important that we understand this. 
If we want to have God's power at work in our lives, we need to realize that God doesn't need anything that we don't already have for dealing with the problems that overwhelm us today or for fulfilling the assignments that he's given to us. All he needs and wants is us. What we already have, including our weaknesses and our challenges, and for us to humble ourselves and to put our trust in his abilities. James 4 says that God opposes. I mean, he works against the proud. Those who have got it all together. Those who are trying to do it on their own. He opposes. But he gives grace. He empowers the humble. And then if you go down four verses to verse 10, he goes on to say, Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so to release God's power in our lives, we need to put our faith in him and we need to humbly acknowledge our weakness. Thirdly, if we want God's power at work in our lives, we need to practice his presence daily and ask him in that context for his strength. In Deuteronomy 34.10, we read that the Lord and Moses had a face-to-face relationship. Now, we know from other passages of Scripture that no human can actually see the face of God and live. And so this passage most likely is saying that the Lord and Moses had a very close relationship. Moses practiced the presence of God, included him in his day, included him in every decision, and in that context, boldly asked God for wisdom when he needed it, boldly asked God for strength when he needed it, boldly asked God for power when he needed it. And you know what? When we have a relationship like that with God, God loves it when we come to him and boldly ask him. James 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask. As I said a moment ago, we often don't grow very close to God or develop a deep trust in God because we tend to live quite independent of God. And yet God longs to be included in our day, in our thoughts, and to have a running dialogue with us throughout the day. He wants us to approach him boldly as we would approach a loving father and to ask him for whatever it is we need to live in peace and for whatever it is we need to fulfill his purpose in life. In other words, to boldly ask him for our needs. He promises to meet our needs, not all of our wants, but our needs. In my life, I feel most connected to the Lord when I am consciously aware of his presence and include him in my day. And it is in that context that I feel at liberty to ask him to do what I can't do. 
someone comes to mind. And I'll say, Lord, I, I don't know why you brought that person to mind. I don't know what's going on in their life. But would you just respond to whatever their need is right now? And would you let me know if there's anything you want me to do for them? And I believe that God's working because I asked. At times, I'll talk to the Lord about someone who's far from God, asking him to reveal himself to them through me, and that they might come to know the Jesus that I know and love. And I ask that of him boldly. And then I step out believing that he is working, even though I may not see any evidence of it. When I'm talking to someone or when I'm speaking to a large group of people like this, often, you know, I'm talking to him at the same time. My wife always says I can't do two things at once, but this part I'm doing. I'm whispering to the Lord in my mind constantly. I'm asking him to use my life, my words to transform hearts because I need him to do that. I can't do that. And what I'm saying is that one of the richest aspects of our spiritual journey that really pleases God and that unleashes his power in our lives is just practicing his presence all day long, just going to God with our fears, with our joys, and with our, our praises, just going to God with our uncertainties and our insecurities and asking him to use us and to work through us despite our weakness and believing that he is doing what we've asked for, that he is working, whether we sense it or not. You see, God is great, and God is all-powerful, but we must invite him consciously to be powerful in our lives. And so if we want God's power to be at work in and through our lives, we need to put our faith in him, we need to humbly acknowledge our weakness, and we need to practice his presence daily, and in that context, ask him for his power and strength. Finally, we need to step out in faith. God told Moses to get up and get going and to trust him to provide whatever he needed along the way. When I think of stepping out, I'm reminded of the story of Moses' successor, Joshua, leading the people across the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3. You might want to turn over to that little passage. The Jordan River is that the flood stage. Those of you who've been in Israel know that normally the Jordan River is not that wide and not that deep. But this was at the flood stage. It would have been spring, meaning that her banks are overflowing. Her banks are dangerous. And God gives these instructions to Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. As soon as the priests carrying the ark of the Lord set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So what's God saying here? 
He's saying, I'm going to perform a miracle. I am going to part the waters of the Jordan so that your people can cross the Jordan on dry land. I'm going to do that. You can trust me in that. But I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask the priests who are leading all of you, to trust me and take the first step. Now, I can just imagine those priests standing there at the edge of the Jordan River, this this raging river, holding the Ark of the Covenant and thinking, I'm going to die. I am going to die. And I can visualize the guy at the front turning around and saying, by the way, I've been leading for quite some time. You know, I think it's time we switch places. But more importantly, I can envision these priests wondering, why would God ask us to do this? I mean, why doesn't he just part the Jordan and then we'll walk? Well, Joshua answers that question down in verse 10. He says, God wants you to take the first step so you will know that the living God is among you. So you won't have any doubt that our God is the true God and that he's more than able to defeat the enemies that you're going to be confronting in a short while. He's saying, I want your trust in God to move from head knowledge to your experience. And so it is for us today. God wants us to take the first step so we'll actually experience firsthand his power at work in and through our lives. So we'll have more than just a head faith or a shallow Christian life. Henry Blackaby says, you come to know God more intimately as he reveals himself to you through your experience of him. And that's why God always asks us to take the first step. Not a big leap of faith necessarily. Most of the time it's just a small step. One step at a time. And as we do, our faith in God, like that of Moses, will grow step by step. Now you see, it may feel safe on the riverbank. But true joy and victorious living is not found on the riverbank. You stay on the riverbank and you are going to miss God's best for you. Now, it's very important at this point that I clarify that acting in faith is not stepping out blindly in any direction. Stepping off a cliff cliff, is not an act of faith. It is an act of foolishness. And it is not from God. Jesus made that abundantly clear when Satan, you'll recall, believe in Matthew 4, tempted him to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple. Before you step out, you need to be certain that you've heard from God, 
that it is confirmed in the scriptures and that you have received godly counsel from a number of other godly people you respect. But once you've determined God's direction, then God wants you to step out and take action, even if you're fearful, even if you're doubtful, even if you don't feel like it. Now, yes, you're going to experience fear as you contemplate stepping out. Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my confidence in the Lord. As I uh, once heard someone say, faith is not the absence of fear. It is feeling the fear, but obeying the Lord anyway, despite the fear. Because your confidence is in the Lord. So let me wrap up with some practical examples, some of which I need to give credit to Bill Hybels and also to Rick Warren for. Let's say when you come home from work, you're emotionally and physically exhausted, and when you walk in the door, what you want to say is, don't bug me. Just leave me alone. That's what you want to do. But instead of doing that, try this instead. On the way home, take advantage of slow-moving traffic on Deerfoot. (laughs) Take advantage of that time to have a quiet time with the Lord. Tell the Lord how weak that you feel and that you need His power right now. Claim His promise that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall play with the kids and not faint. (laughs) And then when you walk through the door, instead of telling everyone to take a hike, say the right thing. Do the right thing. Believing as you do. The Lord is renewing your strength. The Lord is supplying whatever it is that you need because you have asked him for it. That's stepping out in faith. It's believing as Moses did that God is in you and that he is with you and that as you step forward in faith, he will provide what you need. Or think of, the pers- of a person that you don't like. Some of you may have to shorten your list just to get focused here. Okay. <laughs> For some of you, that person at the top of your list may be a co-worker. For others, it may be your marriage partner. Perhaps the romance died in your marriage a long time ago. You have no feelings for your mate. You're not even attracted to them anymore. You need God's power to do what you can't do. So begin by acknowledging your need and weakness to the Lord. And then ask the Lord to do a work in your heart to transform you with his love for that person, not only to give you the ability, but to love that person 
and to like that person. Then step out and act out your faith by treating that person the way that you would treat a person you love or a person that you like. In the case of your spouse, by treating them as a special treasure, regardless of your feelings. Deciding to love them as a special treasure. Sending her flowers, complimenting him sincerely, building her up. And while you're doing all this, trust God to do a miracle in your heart and in the way that you feel about that person. Perhaps some of you are struggling with insecurity and a fear of rejection. And God's calling you to, to lead a ministry or to lead a small group or for that matter just to participate in a small group. Well, begin by admitting your need to God. Ask Him to help you to find your identity and your value in Him rather than what others think about you. Confess your pride to Him. Ask Him to shed His light on this distortion in your way of thinking. And ask Him to change your heart. And then step out. And take the necessary steps to begin leading or to be part of that small group. And as you go to that first meeting, believe that God is with you. That he is giving you his confidence and his courage because you have asked him to. If being generous is hard for you, humble yourself and pray. And confess that selfishness to God. And then in faith, step out and begin to be generous with your time and with your money. And as you're doing that, ask God to change your heart and to help you to see life and what really matters in life from God's perspective. And watch God begin to give you the joy of giving. It could be one of a thousand things that God's calling you to trust him in. You know, I find myself needing to apply these truths in my life every day. I've shared this with some of you before. But I need God's power in my life daily because most days... I feel totally overwhelmed in my role as senior pastor of this church. I especially need God's power in preparing to preach and teach God's word week after week. And so every week I admit my need to God, my need to hear his voice, my need for him to share with me what he wants me to communicate to his church, to ask him for his help, for his insights. And then I step out, believing that he will supply what I need. And even though there have been weeks where come Saturday morning, like hours before the Saturday night service, I still haven't received a clear word from him. And I get convinced at that moment that this will be the weekend he's not going to come through for me.
God has always provided what I needed, when I needed it, although I've often said, Lord, a little earlier would be just really nice. (laughs) But he's provided. And not because I'm somebody special, but because God loves to empower those who acknowledge their weakness. He loves to empower those who ask for God's strength. He loves to empower those who step out in faith. I'll close with a quote that I read from Dr. David Jeremiah. This is what he says. Most believers give lip service to God, but live their lives in their own strength. They operate in their own energy 80% of the time. Then they have a power outage. A power outage is going to the doctor and finding out that there's something wrong with you that they can't fix. A power outage is going into an office where you've been going for 25 years, where you feel secure, and getting a pink slip saying you've been laid off from your job. A power outage is coming home and finding a note from your spouse that she doesn't love you anymore. Or a note from a child that he won't be coming home anymore. Dr. Jeremiah says, most of us as believers don't really touch the power of God until we have our own power outage. Then we discover that when we are weak, he is strong. Friends, God's message to us today is that we don't have to wait until we have a power outage to experience all that God has for us. The power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is available to you and me today. We can join Paul in saying, I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who gives me strength. I ask you. I ask you, what is your Jordan River? Whatever it is God is saying to you, step off the riverbank and trust me. God is saying, I want you to grow in the power of the Spirit. I want you to soar in the Spirit. I want you to know me and that I am a friend who sticks closer than a brother and that I am absolutely trustworthy. Oh yes, you will experience fears and your faith will be far from perfect and there will be times that you will want to go back to the safety of the riverbank. But do know this. When you fall, or when you fail, and you will, Jesus will be there to pick you up. He will never leave you or forsake you, and in that moment, as you feel and sense his arms of love around you, you will discover 
that he is enough. That he is enough. Would you stand for closing prayer? Before I pray, I just want to give you the opportunity to bring your burdens, your fears, your insecurities, your difficult circumstances to the foot of the cross. Some of you are tired of trying to cope with all that's on your plate in your own strength. And you need and you want God's strength. Some of you are struggling in a relationship or a friendship or in a dating relationship, a marriage, a family situation. Some of you need God's help in your health or in some aspect of your character, perhaps a problem with anger or impatience. God is calling you to step off the riverbank and to cast yourself into his arms, his strong arms of love, and to trust him to do what you can't do. I'm going to invite you to come to the cross and to lay your burden, your fear, your feelings of inadequacy at the feet of Jesus and ask him for his resurrection power through the power of the promised Holy Spirit and to live the life that he intends you to live. Friend, he is able, he is more than able to accomplish what concerns you today. Whether you're in this room, whether you're in the chapel, whether you're at one of the regionals, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your chair and to come to the front of whatever room you're in, those of you here, to come to this altar and to give him your burdens, to give him everything. We're just going to wait for a few moments as you come. Come right now. want to praise you today for being our all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God. For wanting to release your power in and through our lives. Lord, we truly do want to stop living solely in our own power. We want to live in the power of your spirit. We want you to live your life of power in and through us. And so, Lord, we we confess our fears and our anxieties, our insecurities to you. We lay our burdens at your feet. We admit that we are weak, and Jesus, we need your strength. We need your help. I ask, Lord, that you would fill us with yourself, 
you would begin to live your life of victory and love and joy and peace through us even from now on as we stop trying so hard and start trusting you to do what we can't do. For we pray this all in your precious name. Those of you who've come forward, don't feel a need to rush away. Just spend however long you need with the Lord here. There are prayer partners who are making their way up and if some of you would like someone to pray with you they will seek to get around to you and do that take the blessing of the Lord with you may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his resurrection power and his amazing peace In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you all. We'll see you next week.